Hello, and welcome to the Above Average Irrelevance podcast. This is episode 26. Today is Monday, December 5th. I'm Matt Weaver, and I'm here with Scott Nelson. Good evening, Scott. Good evening, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great, and this glass of bourbon I'm working on is only enhancing that effect. Agreed. Thank you for uh, treating tonight. Yes. Um, though bourbon, as it turns out, maybe is not the most ideal choice for what we're going to talk about later, but we'll get to that. Uh, so first, though, you have been experimenting. Uh, you did a fast for almost three whole days, about a, what, a week ago now? Yeah, last week, um... So that's, to clarify, you ate no food. You drink water and decaf coffee, and that's it? Correct. For... So it ended up being about 60 hours. Like, I um, worked out kind of late on a Tuesday, and so then I ate something after working out at, like, 9 p.m., and then I ate again Friday at noon. Yeah. So I was going to go a full three days, and then by noon on Friday, I kind of felt like I had achieved what I wanted to, and I had experienced what I wanted to, So, and I was hungry, but I was really craving a bowl of oatmeal, and so that's what I ate, so it wasn't like I immediately went and ate McDonald's or bacon or something, <laughs> because I was deprived. Like, I ate hearty food then for the rest of the day. A bowl um, of oatmeal. Do you regularly eat oatmeal? Actually, yeah, I do eat oatmeal quite a bit. Are you a steel-cut oats guy? I am. Nicely and done. Actually, I make so I make steel-cut oats. And, I, you know, depending on how you make that, mine always gets a little soupy. And then I like to stir in a cup of peanut butter um, powder, oh. um, like peanut butter flour. You know, it's essentially dehydrated <clears throat> peanut butter. Yeah, I've never tried that. So it's a lot of protein. It's, a, it's peanut butter with no fat, essentially. It's just the protein. So then that makes it really creamy, and you end up with peanut butter oatmeal. It's really good. Hmm. I may have to try that. So, but anyway, so that's, that's what I had. Yeah, so I mean, the main impetus of this, you know, I did that juice fast a while back, and we had read those articles about intermittent fasting and yep. um, fasting and its effects on your immune system and um, cancer and stuff like that. And, you know, after Thanksgiving, I was kind of, I had overeaten and I was continuing to overeat. That's kind of my problem is once I, you know, once I get off the wagon on a holiday like that, you always think, well, it's just one day, I'll eat whatever I want. Well, then the next day you eat a all week kinds later. of leftovers. <laughs> right, a week later you're still eating pumpkin pie with every meal. Um, that's what happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> so it just yeah. kind of felt like, you know, and I had a few days where I didn't have any social obligations or anything. And so I was like, this is just a good time to give this a shot. Yeah. So I did it. And, you know, like I didn't really feel deprived. Like I wasn't that hungry. I didn't feel poorly i didn't really work out i just went for walks that that was the problem with the juice fast too when i'm fasting like i don't feel comfortable doing a hard workout right because i just think it's unwise like that's a good that's a good way to pass out you yeah. know um so i didn't really work out uh but yeah it was good i felt really good and the other reason for doing it was sometimes I feel like, you know, I, I work from home and it's hard to not just want to snack on stuff and eat stuff all the time. And sometimes, you know, I'll work for a couple hours and I'll be like, mm, what am I going to eat now? Am I going to have some almonds? Am I going to have an apple? Am I going to, you know, have some chips or something? And I was trying to get rid of that habit of just constantly this, what am I going to eat popping back into my head? 
And right. it really did accomplish that. Because um, the first day that kept happening, it's like, I'm going to eat something. Oh, no, I'm not eating right now. Well, I didn't um, know that you'd started this, so I was texting you about yeah. food, and one yeah. of your other friends was texting you about the new pizza joint that opened up in town. And, yeah. God, like, yeah. Stop with the food. <laughs> um, and that was on the first day where I was still thinking about it all the time. But then, you know, by the end, uh, middle of the second day, end of the second day, it like was just, it wasn't really even an issue anymore. I feel like I'd achieved my And so purpose. you weren't hungry, really, for, no. the, for the first two days. You weren't really hungry. Not really. By the third day, I was getting really hungry. Yeah. Now, you did tell me on the second day that you, you were, your brain was a little fuzzy, maybe? Yeah, I would say I just didn't feel really sharp. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's just a, you know, like a, it was an in my head kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know if it was literally in my head or if I just, you know, was thinking, oh, I haven't been eating, so I don't have brain power i I don't know but i felt just kind of a little lethargic and not like really mentally acute now with juice fasting people report for the first couple of days you maybe feel that way and the theory is of course that's just all the toxins leaving your body but then eventually you burst through to the other side and you feel better than ever so that's the the was the most interesting thing to me because i've recently done that juice fast i feel comfortable making you know an immediate comparison i felt way better just fasting than i did the first few days of the juice fast and i don't know you know if it's because of the way you know your body's still processing a lot of nutrients with the juice fast i don't know if it was you know, a lot of extra sugar or what, you know, I felt very poorly the first couple days of the juice fast. Um, and this, I felt, I mean, I felt great. So one of I the, one of the theories that the fat, sick and nearly dead guy, I think Joe was his name. Um, maybe I'm remembering his name wrong that he suggested was <clears throat> when you're juicing, you're increasing the amount of nutrients that are going into your body. Like the density of the nutrients going into your body is much higher than, than your typical diet, right? Even if you have a diet that's, you know, high in things that are good for you, right? Like, you know, salads and, and nuts and, and all sorts of other, you know, fruits and vegetables and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, your cells have an overabundance of a lot of nutrients that they use for their processing. And one of the processing steps that they do is use some of these nutrients to, um, you know, deal with their wastes and remove their, their garbage out of the cell. And so the, the theory he posited was for the first couple of days, your cells have just gone into this overdrive state. And they're cleaning themselves, which is dumping all of that waste mm. into your bloodstream so that your you know, liver and kidneys and everything else can clean it all out, which is all the things that normally happen, but it's now happening at a much higher rate, which is why you feel, you know, not terrible, but why you have a seemingly adverse effect from mm-hmm. that juice fast. But then it goes away, right? you know, after three days, typically, um, because you've you've cleaned out all that you've cleaned out and you've been eating you know pretty clean as it were for the for the time on the juice fast 
um, I don't know that that would necessarily be the case in a fast because you're not really ingesting anything, right? Right. I think, right, maybe it doesn't apply the same because the new nutrients aren't incoming. Yeah. Makes me wonder if you could have figured out some sort of hybrid approach or if a hybrid approach would work. Like, could you make one, you know, juice a day, right? Have one, you know, big 16-ounce glass of whatever your favorite juice is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that would make you more hungry because if you recall, I was very hungry during the juice fast. Like I had to drink a lot of juice Yeah. Um, because I was just hungry all the time, you know, and I think it's because your body is still processing food and is still in that mode of digestion. Whereas when you fast, that shuts down. Maybe. I don't know. Makes you wonder, though, if you could, like, you'd be trying to achieve some sort of, um, you know, like, reduced thing. I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't be getting the benefits of the fast then, right? Because theoretically, all of these health benefits from the fast come from letting your your digestive system and all of the associated processes with that shut down, right? Isn't that part of the part of the reasoning why yeah. the fast is an improvement on your health? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But importantly, you achieved your goal, which was you kind of broke out of the tight loop of holiday eating that you mm-hmm. found yourself in after Thanksgiving, right? Yes. And I also think uh, that experience made me feel a little more in control of my eating. I mean, you know, I'm always, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast, I'm always trying to lose weight and trying to get healthier. And I like to eat food and I like to eat bad food and I like to drink beer. And I feel like sometimes it's easy to feel like that's maybe out of control or out of your control. Um, And this felt like an exercise in like regaining control over that and decisions about eating yeah so i would agree sometimes i find myself in the middle of eating a snack and i'm like did i how did i get here (laughs) did i consciously choose to eat this or how i i don't know i just kind of walked into the kitchen and started putting this in my face right right i don't know that i chose to eat it but i guess i chose to put myself in the position to not have to choose. I don't know. Uh, so that's good. Do you think you'll do a fast again? I probably will. So actually, I kind of have decided that I'm going to embark on a new um, weight loss initiative, which started today. Hmm? Uh, well, here, well I, here I am bringing you... I can have a bourbon. That's no big deal. Okay. Um so what I'm going to do is just try and stay very focused on losing weight. And I feel like a lot of times I don't really have a specific goal, like I'm going to lose X pounds by this time, or I'm going to achieve this particular thing. And so this time I think I'm just going to lay out a system and I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and lose 
three pounds a week. That's aggressive. Yes. Average of three pounds a week. Yeah. Now, if you've ever undertaken a serious weight loss program before, you know you might lose 10 pounds the first week or eight pounds, yeah. you know, and then five pounds the next week. Um, right. Um, do you have a total number of pounds lost goal? Yes. I am going to lose 84 pounds. Okay. At an average rate of three pounds per week. Okay. Which will take me 28 weeks. Wasn't there a movie? <laughs> I think there's <laughs> 28 weeks later or something like something that. Something like that. Hey, yeah, it's yeah, a zombie that's movie. That's good. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, which means I will meet my goal on June 18th. Okay. Which seems like a long way away, but uh, it's you think not... I can do it? Um, of course I do. All right. I, I think it'll be hard, though. So, <clears throat> there's... Uh, there's many components to that. One, and probably the most important, is diet. So what diet strategy are you going to follow? I'm going to do, uh, you know, I talked about zone before. It's basically yep. just a macros. Um, I'm not going to do paleo. I'm not going to do something gimmicky. Um, it's just aligning your um, carb, fat, protein with appropriate appropriate portions. Yeah, so carb, fat, protein, and zone is, uh, what, like... 30% carbs, 20% fat, and 50% protein? Or am I remembering those percentages wrong? I, I'm going to have to look it up again. Um, well, it started today. You were theoretically yeah. eating the zone diet Well, I, that's the thing. I'm not really even going to do... I'm not going to track it. I'm not going to track it like that. Okay. Um, because when I try and track something like that, I ultimately fail. Uh, when I try and track calorie, calories, I ultimately fail. So I've done that enough that I understand what a zone meal looks like as far as this amount of vegetables, this amount of protein, this amount of carbs kind of thing. So what would be ideal is if you could use your internet-connected dingus over there to keep track of that stuff. Oh. That would that. be a fantastic app. Or if there was something that Siri could do for right. it. Right. Because then you don't really have to keep track of it. You could just say, yeah. hey, I'm eating this and I'm eating that. Right. And it could total it all up for you. So the other thing is, I know you're, this may seem irresponsible, but in the first few weeks of a diet, it's really not that important how detailed the eating or the tracking is, at least for me, as long as I start eating good food. Right. It's like I'm not eating out. I'm eating veggies and lean meats. I'm not, you know, eating processed foods. That's all it takes at first. Yeah. To lose significant weight. Yeah. So over the course of a, you know, a weight loss program like this, you have to get tighter and stricter and more tracking and fewer calories and that kind of thing. Right. But I don't have to worry about that day one. So as I said at the beginning of the podcast, today is December 5th. In 20 days... I believe you'll be experiencing an additional holiday meal. Uh, I'm going to have to get that figured out. Okay. So there's no... You haven't given yourself a week. Like, I feel like you... Well, I, might, I mean, I'll probably eat whatever I want. Yeah. I, that weekend, but... But maybe... I may fast the three days prior to it. So that's another thing I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this intermittent fasting... Um, for a day or two days per week. So um, you're going to have to 
tell me in advance so that I know when I can and cannot talk about um, food with you, you know, specifically if I'm going to say, hey, let's go to right. Caribou and I'm going to have a piece of cinnamon coffee cake yeah. and a... And a no, I mean, I should be able coffee. to do with that, right? I mean, that's part of it. So, and the main reason that I brought this up tonight, I know I kind of sprung this on you, like we mm. hadn't discussed this, because I would like to check in on this podcast. I mean, I would like to tell you each week what I've lost, what my average, what my running average is, how many weeks ahead or behind I am. Okay. And just kind of track it if you're okay with that. Yeah, I'd love it. And we'll see how it goes. And the thing I got to thinking about is, like I said, I'm always trying to lose weight, struggling with my weight. I feel like it's the one thing that you have complete control over in your, your life, life, right? Uh, you, know, you know, you might not have the job you want. You might not be able to get the job you want or make the money you want or you know, get, get a date you want, um, you know, be with the person you want. There's <laughs> so many things in your life. that are not under your complete control. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, your body is. And so it's just me being lazy, you know, and weak and uh, oh, having I, bad priorities. Um, I think it's important mm-hmm. to recognize that it's not just lazy and weak. Not that there's not a part of that. Um, You know me. (laughs) But you live in America. And if there's one thing we have in America, it's easy access to lots of food and a society that encourages you to have it. You'll never see a commercial on any TV show you watch that says, don't go to McDonald's, it's terrible for you. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So... Uh, the psychology of how you choose to diet is important. And I believe that if you think I can always eat, I can always make a good choice, right? And if I don't, I'm just lazy and weak. I think you set yourself up for failure. I think a successful strategy is going to include recognizing you're going to fall off the wagon because our society is actively working to make you fall off the wagon, right? Mm-hmm. There's at some point you're going to be cold and tired and hungry and something, you know, you're going to be standing in line at Caribou. And since almost all Caribous we go to seem to be staffed by idiots and you often wait many, many, many minutes for a simple cup of coffee you're going to be standing there staring at the case and that. And then I can blame the barista. Since you made me stand here uh, no, for five extra it, minutes, now I will succumb to but, this coffee cake. But that coffee cake is going to be staring there. Look at it. And it looks good, <laughs> right? I mean, it really does look good. When you go to Dunn Brothers, right, you have to walk past. Oh, and there it's not just coffee cake. It's donuts and... Donuts and cinnamon. I mean, you got to walk past all that stuff even to get there, right? right. So... I think it's important for you to recognize there's going to be a lot of things in the world that are going to be enticing you with their buttery, sugary goodness, right? I have been known to place blame on a barista because I like, (laughs) I like a little cream in my coffee, yeah, just a little. And so I always tell them I want a little room and, you know, sometimes you'll say a little room and they'll still leave you like an inch and a half. Yeah. Of space. And so <laughs> often I say, I want a little room. And if you leave too much room, I'm going to put in too much cream and it's going to be all your fault. 
Wow. <laughs> With Mike spreading the guilt around. Right? Yeah. Well, and I'm joking, but they never get that because it's usually some high schooler who is humorless. <laughs> So. Well, you're some old creepy dude. <laughs> <That's right? laughs> I mean, they don't know what the hell you're talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, um, that's exciting. So, what is okay. your what's your workout strategy? So, uh, over lunch today, I went uh, for a three mile walk with my twenty pound weight pack. So, I'm going to do more rucking. Yeah, that's key. I'm going to do a lot of rucking and rowing. Okay. Those as my primary like calorie burns yeah um i'd still like to do some kettlebells some weightlifting type stuff but yeah i've found lately that it's hard to work that into my schedule i've been missing classes and stuff which is part of the reason that you know i haven't been doing well fitness wise so i yeah. feel like i need to come up with a plan that is completely independent of you know what time does this class meet what day does this class meet right um and rucking and rowing are two things that i can do completely independently so that's a good plan. Um, I think that can work for you. The, you know, I hurt my knee a few months ago in the gym, and that's impacted my ability to run. <clears throat> and since that time, um, I've gained about 10 pounds, even though I'm still going to the gym three times a week, right? For a long time, I wasn't doing much in the way of cardio just because I was trying to work around my knee. Um, I have since found that I can pedal on the recumbent bike, um, and that doesn't really bother my knee, though I didn't, I worked out today, I didn't pedal today, because I pedaled Thursday and Friday, back to back, and I did, um, I did even longer distance on Friday than I had been doing on Thursday and days prior, and whatever it was, maybe that's too much distance, maybe it was the back-to-back, -back. whatever it was kind of made my knees bother me hmm. over the weekend. Um, and I chose not to pedal today after my workout because today's workout included some lower body stuff. So I did some body weight squats and some of the things that were working my knees. And I thought, I just, you know, I just don't want to push it because during this rehab process on my knee... I was getting better and I pushed it and I hurt myself again, mm -hmm. right? Which is part of why this has taken so long. But this process has confirmed what I had thought originally, which was you don't see a lot of overweight runners. And uh, I had been running quite a lot. I had gotten to the point where I was regularly running, um, you know, four, five, sometimes even six miles a week. Um, and I was getting a lot more comfortable with it. And uh, that was, I am convinced, part of why I was able to, you know, kind of consistently lose some weight. I mean, mm -hmm. I was eating relatively well most of the time. Um, and I could tell on the scale, like, oh, man, I've eaten like crap for a couple of days. And I haven't lost any weight or, you know, I've gained two pounds or whatever it is, right? But then I could I could get that back under control and keep running and it would keep going down again. Um, it was slow, but it was starting to come together. Mm -hmm. um, and I hurt my knee and running was no bueno. And so uh, then my weight just went back up again, right? Even though I was still doing uh, weight training, 
three days a week, right? I mean, my upper body routine didn't change, right? And I've been getting stronger even the whole time, right? My lower body routine had to change simply because there were certain, you know, power moves that involved, you know, doing squats or something that I just, I couldn't deal with, you know, a hundred pounds of weight to do a, right. a deadlift or something, right? My knee just couldn't do it. Um, <clears throat> but I was doing other things, right? To continue to try to work around it and strengthen the muscles, the secondary muscles around my knee and stuff like that. Um, so I don't feel like I've lost a lot of lower body strength, more or less probably maintained just as I've been doing some other stuff, right? And I'm doing even more core work. So my core is getting a little stronger, right? I mean, uh, so I'm, but the, the difference is how much, what my calorie burn is for the cardio work that I'm right. doing, right? And love it or hate it, it's hard to argue with the calorie burn that running puts up, right? I mean, you go run for a mile, um, and that's that's working your yeah. body hard, right? Um, when I've had the most success with weight loss, it's been through lots of running. Yeah. And just because it's easy to lose weight running, but it's also hard on my body, and it's just terrible. I Even when I was used to running, I would have to... I hate to say force myself to run, but I would have to like gear myself up to go for a run. Whereas doing a rowing workout, you know, I can do a rowing workout at any moment of the day, right? It's like now's right. the time I'm going to work out, hop on the rower and row. Same with rucking because it's essentially just walking. Yep. Um, you put know, your, I'll go for a walk. Put any, your earbuds in and... Yeah, listen to music any time of the day, fine. So that's why I need to focus on things where I don't, there's no potential for failing to do it just because I can't make myself. Yeah. The, uh, I, I mean, had you gotten to a point where you wanted to run because you loved it so much or you just like, it was a means to an end, a necessary evil. You were willing to do it because you want to lose weight. Um, I was running on the fancy treadmill at the Y, right. Which has a lot of, um, give built into the platform that you're running on. Uh, I didn't, really spend any time running outside on sidewalks or anything because um i'm i'm overweight i'm seriously overweight and so the uh all that extra weight on my knees would have not been good right it would have been yeah. been bad for everything so everything that you didn't like about running because how hard it was on your body and i always ran outside right i was trying to minimize that by running on the treadmill and um when I started running, I hated it, <clears throat> right? I started running by running in 30-second, you know, intervals between running and walking on the treadmill. But I'd gotten at the point where I could run for two miles continuously at 10-minute uh, at, at miles, or even I was working on going a little faster than 10-minute miles, right? Like, I could do it, and I didn't hate it. I wouldn't say that every day I just wanted to run, mm -hmm. but um my attitude had gone from I hate running to I don't hate running but I don't like it to um some days I feel like I kinda wanna go yeah. run. So I describe that to people as saying I was almost a runner. <laughs> right. I think a runner 
wants to run. Yes. Like they, you know, whenever they want to go burn off some energy or work out some frustration or, or calm their mind or whatever it is that they want to do, they say, man, I want to go run. And I wasn't quite there, but I had experienced enough benefits from running to want it occasionally. Mm -hmm. Not always. I was still sometimes making myself run, you know, more than I would have, right? Yeah. It's like, ah, I want to lose weight. I'm going to go run. I'm not going to make a bowl of buttery, salty popcorn and (laughs) sit down and watch Netflix. Um, But... Yeah, I had made process, progress. And, uh, you know, I hurt my knee not running. I was not running when I hurt my knee. I was yeah. doing a, a a lunge, a walking lunge, right? And it was something I've done hundreds of times before. And yeah. Just something happened. Yeah. Can't explain it. The, uh, the <laughs> what's interesting, you might echo this advice but if i could deliver advice to the young people of the world right to the 20 somethings of america as a 40 year old i would say whether you're in shape or not as a 20 something get in shape yeah and stay in shape because trust me it's a lot easier as a 20 something than as a 40-something to do it. Or a 30-something. Or a 30-something to do it, right? And you you might prefer to just spend your time in a bar or playing the PlayStation 4 or whatever pursuits that you want to do as a 20-something, but your older self will thank you if you do... Definitely. Even just a little bit of work to maintain your fitness. Because it's much easier to maintain than it is to... Achieve. Achieve. Yeah. Totally. So, you know, I am kind of into... I've gotten into this rucking and I love the go ruck mm-hmm. um, equipment and stuff. And they have like a promotional <laughs> video for rucking. You know, they're trying to promote this essentially to sell gear, you know. Yep. And, you know, they believe in it, obviously. There's a whole company built around it. Um but they they're special forces guys yes their claim is that and i you know i can't remember what they didn't really say what particular weight or anything but their claim is that rucking burns as many calories as running because of the strength and core stabilization that has to happen under the load it wouldn't Um, surprise me as you start to put some real weight in your bag i could i could buy that um so you know, rucking with some real weight probably is probably pretty close to the same sort of calorie burn as mm-hmm. running slowly. Um, the faster you run, it's it's a non-linear exactly. calorie burn. That's the thing. Right? Uh, so maybe rucking with a thirty-pound plate is the equivalent to a light jog. Yeah. You know, I I don't know. It also depends on the terrain that you're wrecking. If you're like hiking per se, or like what I did today was just walking around the streets, which is pretty know, flat. Bike here. paths, flat yeah. paved surfaces with the with the. <coughs> so, so um, rucking, I think, is a lot more accessible than running. Right, running for a lot of people is 
you know, it is just a terrible idea. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, if it's something you're not used to, you've never done, you know, yeah, it's a lot easier to just put a backpack on and go for a walk. So, yeah. So I actually, you know, I have a, a go rock bag. Right? Yeah. I think it was you who initially talked me into getting one. Right. Um, Though I've I'm never, <clears throat> other than packing it full of crap and putting going, it on my back on and, and <laughs> walking around an airport, I've never, you know, quote unquote, rucked with it. So that was my Black Friday purchase. <laughs> I um, Did you buy the plates? So my general thing is I my Black, Black, Black Friday purchases are always all for myself because I'm a notorious last minute Christmas shopper. <clears throat> so, I mean, I'm not ready. I don't have my ideas. I don't know what I'm buying things by Black Friday, but I certainly have all kinds of things that I want to buy myself. Um, so GoRuck had a lot of discounts on items on Black Friday. So, yeah, I bought a set of the GoRuck plates. Yeah. So they're nice, flat handles. They fit in the bags really nice. Um, I mean, you know, you can use anything you want. You can wrap up bricks in duct which tape. Is, which before is, they sold the plates, that's what they what you do. tell you yeah. to do, right? Um, but the plates are a lot nicer and a lot handier. So I bought a couple plates and then a few other, uh, like a sternum strap to go between the shoulder straps and um, like an external water bottle holder, just a few other little accessories for my pack. So the the sternum strap is important when the pack is really loaded. Yeah. Um, I like though that that GoRuck bag doesn't have that crap on it by default. Right, because right, I, I've never wanted it when I'm going through the airport, you know. But yeah. when I have a thirty pound weight strapped in there, I do. Right. I and I'll I'll have you lift I'll have you lift it later. A thirty pound weight is surprisingly heavy. When I think of thirty pounds, I just don't think that sounds that heavy, but it's heavy. They only go up to 45 pounds that they sell. Yeah. And that's kind of like their most recommended weight, I guess. But the, uh, I guess I did, uh, I did dumbbell press today. And we went up to 50 pounds today. Um, but two 50 pound weights in your hand, I mean, that's, it was hard for me to even get that crap off the rack right. Right, and get over to a bench and do it. Um, so I think the problem is you get too much weight on your back and you're asking for like <laughs> instability, you know, like to fall over backwards if you yeah. move wrong. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, no, rucking is highly accessible. Um, you know, my neighborhood has that giant hill. Yeah. <laughs> um, it would probably be a very interesting exercise to put some weight in my bag, mm. strap it on and just walk Go up, down the down, hill yeah. and come back it's yeah. probably it's maybe a mile maybe a little more down and back from my house around my big block is 0.8 miles so oh so now do i get to complain about something you always get to complain about something. so i when i went today the last two times i've tried to pair my bluetooth heart rate monitor with my apple watch it doesn't do it anymore it did it before it did it for weeks no, need, it doesn't. Nope, do, no do, more. Done. Do you need to, like, forget the pairing and do it again? I, in, I've done that. So I don't mean pairing. Like, normally I, it stays permanently paired and then it just connects. Right. Stopped connecting. So I tried unpairing it, repairing it. Still won't connect. So I'm going to reboot the watch. I haven't rebooted the watch for a while. So I'm going to reboot it tonight and see if it needs to be updated or whatever. But can you re very irritated. Reboot the... The, no, see that's the thing. Those Bluetooth heart rate monitors—they're just always giving off the signal 
it's there's nothing no there's nothing to reboot i could take the battery out and put it back in the thing is is i paired it with my other my old my other watch and it pairs with that so i know it's not the monitor yeah it's the watch probably yeah so i don't know that's very disappointing because a now i have one more thing to troubleshoot and b if it's like permanently broken i mean that kills a major like that was your requirement right that that was my yeah it's yeah it's got to work again Mm. that it's sad times it can work again there's just I don't know some sort of like sometimes stand things on work one foot and sometimes things work until they don't. Yeah, well, <laughs> fortunately, your Wi-Fi is working better tonight. So. Yeah, yes, I have installed. Which then this morning, though, you know what I forgot to get on the new Wi-Fi network? No, the scale. I have one of those Wi-Fi scales, you know, oh. <clears throat> that reports my weight over Wi-Fi. So now that I'm going to start monitoring my weight again. It's an important thing. Yeah, and so then I had to go figure out how to get the Wi-Fi. <coughs> oh, yeah, so for anyone who happens to be listening, I installed a new Wi-Fi router because you were always complaining because my Wi-Fi was so terrible. So you actually gave me a used Wi-Fi router that was yep. much better than my old one. I installed it and spent hours and hours and hours cursing your name, trying to get all my devices connected to it. And now the scale makes 11 devices that are functioning in my house on the new network. It's astonishing. Really? <laughs> <clears throat> yes. And are you still connected? We good yeah, to go? No, okay. I'm good to go. It's all good. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So should we start now with the first topic on our yes, outline? Number We're one. Let's do 37 it. 37 minutes in. <laughs> um, hey, we had important. I had important stuff to cover. Well, this is equally important because it's about Pennsylvania rye whiskey. Oh, yeah. Let's hear about it. Uh, and so this article, which is on the Daily Beast... <clears throat> is just a history of uh, the Pennsylvania rye whiskey, which is a, it's um, the story particularly follows the uh, old Overholt brand, which is currently owned by Jim Beam and made in Kentucky. Um, and according to this article, it, it is made as a branded rye, but isn't even remotely similar to how it was made in Pennsylvania for a hundred years or more. Uh, and so, um, for instance, the, the Pennsylvania mash bill had no corn in it, but you know, down in Kentucky, <laughs> they put corn and stuff. Down there. <laughs> That's how it works. Um, so it is kind of a fascinating history of not only rye whiskey in general, but the old Overholt brand and the United States, right? Because rye is a quintessentially American spirit. Like it was, it was invented in the United States. Um, well, it was invented. <laughs> in what we now call the United States in the 1600s. But uh, but the, you know, it was the, the drink of choice. Um, but then there was World War One and Prohibition. Prohibition. Um, and the Old Overholt Distillery, the company that owned it, ended up getting 
one of the very few <clears throat> permits from the government during Prohibition to continue to make spirits for medicinal purposes. I, I didn't realize this until I read this article that during Prohibition, you could, there were some companies that were still occasionally making um, some of their spirit, right? Rye, bourbon, whatever it was, um, because it was considered a medicinal item. Did you notice it said that you had to have a prescription? Yes. <laughs> there was really high demand for those prescriptions, <laughs> kind of similar to like a medicinal marijuana Medical marijuana, today. yeah. Same uh, idea. Uh, yeah, I, when I read that, I thought, wow, it's, uh, you know, it really parallels other things going on today. The other interesting thing about that, just that one side was the owner was previous secretary of the treasury was it yeah he was involved in government somehow so it was definitely like a, that's how that company, a cronyism play yeah andrew mellon yeah um who i feel like i've heard that name andrew mellon as the name on the side of a building at a college somewhere i don't yeah. know if it's a college i went to or or what? Well, I always hear, you know, on public radio, they're they're always talking about the Carnegie Mellon Foundation. I don't know. If yeah, it's no, it's not that. Carnegie Mellon. Okay. It's An Andrew Mellon, somebody Something else. Something different. But... Okay. Anyway, well, that item in general uh, made me think that of something, you know, that is going still on right now today. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. Continue. <laughs> uh, so the, you know, the. There's lots of weird things that have happened, like some of the distilleries, like one of the distilleries actually got sold in the 1950s, became a, 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 it was sold to the government and it became a place where the military was working on uh, weapons grade nuclear material, right? So they turned the distillery into a place where they were making nuclear bombs. Yeah. Um, but the... Um, the traditional, you know, Pennsylvania-style rye whiskey, when it was um, sold, you know, in bond, meant that it was 100 proof and aged in barrels for at least four years. Um, and that's a... That's part of the requirements to to do it in bond um <clears throat> i have a couple of rye whiskeys i didn't bring one tonight to share um but i did look at them before i left home um, none of them are are in you know sold in bond um it reminded me that i should potentially seek one out yeah um i would like to taste one now I would too because it it's described as having a very rich um, flavor, uh, which is different than um, um, a lot of rye whiskeys now, which have a you know if they have a mash bill that includes um, you know corn or something else that's sweet, um, and if they're only at eighty proof, right? They're they're just not the same as what they were. But the article does end with some hopeful bits about some um, some like local Pennsylvania you know distilleries that have kind of started up that are starting to make 
some rye whiskey in this old traditional way again. Cool. Um, the, um, as it turns out, um, Suntory, you know, the Japanese whiskey company currently owns the American company that owns Old Overholt. So the article speculated that, you know, the Japanese, as we've discussed on this podcast before, have a mm-hmm. unique ability to take something that's quintessentially American and do it better than Americans, right? Because we've we've cast aside the traditional way it's done, right? The denim or whatever else, right? And bring it back um, in a way that uh, is very traditional, right? Because a lot of the... Um, Japan has, like America has, a lot of uh, craftsmen in it, right? And so mm-hmm. um, the author was hopeful that Suntory would kind of rejigger the old Overholt brand to its traditional mash bill and try to make it the way that it used to be made. But it did mention uh, some craft distillers in Pennsylvania, or in in that section of the country, one called Wiggle, one called Dad's Hat, and one's one called um, uh, Katoctin Creek, um, that uh, are making things in the traditional way. Um, I haven't had time to look them all up on the internet. I did look up Wiggle, which um, is making a rye whiskey in the... Um, in the bonded way, <laughs> right? Um, we live in Minnesota. They can't ship a bottle of it directly to Minnesota. So, right. you know, might be hard to come by, but um, it, it is a, an interesting thing. Uh, the, 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 I had, <clears throat> when I had Googled, I came up with dad's hat that they're actually selling. Uh, they introduced last year, a 100 proof bonded rye right. whiskey. Um, they, so do not that's, sell in the state of Minnesota. Yeah, so it has to have been in there for at least mm-hmm. in, in a barrel for at least four years. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. As I go through various travels uh, here in the next they, however many months, I'm going to keep my eye out for it. They distribute to BC Merchants in Chicago. Oh, that's a, next time you're in Chicago. Do you know BC Merchants? No, but that's a so, easily solvable mm-hmm, problem, right? So, okay. So, yeah, this I found this article fascinating. Yeah. Even if you're not, you know, an alcoholic like I am, the the history of it all is quite fascinating. It was very cool. You know, I um, kind of made me think I only know very little about prohibition, just, you know, from what you I've learned in American history and what I understand from pop culture references and stuff. Right. I would like to read some sort of, Nonfiction more. book or something about how prohibition came about and the repeal of it came about because it's very interesting to me that in our, you know, not too distant country's history. Yeah, I mean, nineteen nineteen was right. when we did prohibition, so that's we're coming up on a hundred years. There's got to be some books on this topic. Yeah, because I've never totally comprehended how how that happened. You know how. The Constitution was amended to um, prevent 
the sale of a product, you know, that had been available and people enjoy. It's well, kind of crazy. I mean, you know, peyote <laughs> was enjoyed by people for a long time <laughs> before it was rated as Schedule 1 item, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's also interesting in the... In the um, in the idea that it was kind of a misadventure in amending the constitution, right? Like it was a erroneous amendment that got, well, it's the only one that we undid. Undid. Exactly. Um, and that in and of itself makes it a really interesting topic. Yeah. It took a while to undo it. Right. But the, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, we should, we should try to find a book and, and read it. I'm, I'm sure we'd learn a lot of interesting things. Okay, and it's on the to-do list to find some some real rye whiskey, Pennsylvania rye. rye whiskey and Bond. Yeah. All right. Okay, next thing. Changing topics completely. Uh, the New Yorker had this article uh, a couple of weeks ago about Glenn Beck. Um, now, I don't listen to a lot of the of this style of talk radio, right? I've never been a... Glenn Beck or a Rush Limbaugh fan. I mean, I, you know, I listen to public radio here, but it's mostly just a source of news, and I understand, you know, its various biases, and that's okay. Um, but this New York article basically said, uh, oh, I, I should dig out the quote. It said... So the title of the article <laughs> is Glenn Beck Tries Out Decency. Yes. So it's kind of about his, Glenn Beck's about face, you know, this year in the light of this election cycle. Right. And, you know, he's considered a, a traitor by lots of people. Um, but he had, here's what he says, and I quote, So much of what I used to believe was either always a sham or has been made into a sham. There's nothing deep. Talking about his new views on things. And I found that kind of fascinating, right? Because, like, part of what you, um, part of how I understand what happens on, you know, CNN and Fox News and Rush Limbaugh and all of this other, you know, kind of noise that masquerades itself as news is people take these. Um, you know, kind of weird positions and make arguments about them, right? Because it's easy to armchair quarterback anything, right? Um, <clears throat> and they're, they're quote-unquote, you know, truthy, right? Um, just as a, as a ratings ploy, right? Because it kind of gets people fired up and, you know, just like when you're, there's no problem that can't be solved between two or three guys at the bar as long as there's enough beer, right? That it's kind of the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, it kind of feels like maybe he's recognized that, as it turns out, some people view it as more than just entertainment. <laughs> and that's made him 
I don't know if feel guilty is the right word. I wouldn't go that far, but certainly he's lost his taste for it. Uh, I, I don't know. I found it a fascinating piece. I don't know that I've become a Glenn Beck fan, but I... I, I did. And, you know, I can't remember... I can't remember that quote. Um, but there's a quote. It's something about, like, you know, you have weak convictions very strongly held or something like that. You know, yeah. people who... That's part of it. I think they've just kind of decided this is something that I believe or, you know, I... This is a conjecture that I, you know, believe to be true and that I'm just going to fight for it to the death, even though I don't really feel that strongly about it. But it's what I've decided I believe. But then my job is to, you know, produce the drama of arguing for it, you know, at the top of my lungs. And that's how some of these sort of crazy ideas that, you know, those people don't really believe it that strongly, but then it's their job to argue it that strongly well, and it's easy in the moment to, you know, adopt the position and argue for it vociferously, right? I mean, right, and I, I think that's a lot of what Glenn Beck did. And now he's <clears throat> confessing, I didn't really believe that. Or in the case that, you know, he didn't really believe it that seriously. In the case where he says yeah. it's become a sham over time. And it was just something, you know, that was he was thrown out there. And he's right? reached a point in his life where he's maybe looking for something to believe in more strongly. Yeah. And that was the really interesting thing, you know, the take on this is um, he was talking about Michelle Obama's speech about how um, women should be treated and her. This was her response to uh, President-elect Trump's, I can't believe I'm saying that, uh, uh, discussion of of, uh, grabbing women's private parts. right? Right. And, you know, her terminology of we and us and how, how we should act and what we should do. And it didn't seem partisan to him. It was just kind of like we being citizens or humanity. You know, it wasn't everything does not have to be a partisan statement. Um, Yeah. And he said that that was a moment for him that transcended transcended all political thought, Um, which is interesting. So the other thing is, you know, this was published before the election. Mm-hmm. And there were several conservative commentators, you know, who went anti-Trump um, and took, you know, heaps of grief for doing it. I, I wonder what the fallout, I mean, what's the fallout for Glenn Beck now that Trump gets elected? I guarantee you it's much worse. His prospects are much worse than they would be if um, Trump hadn't gotten elected. You know, well, because they took a stand against the person who they said should never be president and now he is. So... If he's willing to stick to his guns, who knows what's going to end up happening, right? Because it's clear from watching President-elect Trump uh, assemble a cabinet and do the various things that he's done that his style is going to be very different than than recent presidents, right? Not just Barack Obama, uh, which you wouldn't, you know, that shouldn't surprise anybody. But even from um, the President Bush before Barack Obama, right? Yeah. So, so I feel like he made a choice to be on the right side of history, and then history didn't cooperate with him. So I, I wonder how he's feeling today. Maybe. Still may end up being on the right side of history. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The I'm, I'm kind of fascinated about what's going to happen uh, don't know. I don't think anybody knows. 
the Chinese especially don't know what the hell is going on, right? So um, it's a f- it's a fascinating time to be alive. And I I just I wanted to talk about this article because I I thought it was interesting. The um, there are other sources that I have read. Um, a blogger that I read um, who is often advocating for you know dialing down news in your life right turning it off because it turns out news isn't really reality and you know there are lots of arguments for and against and i don't want to get into them but one of the things that he did this blogger did recently state uh and i think he's right is when you are paying attention to the news regularly because you're trying to keep up on events going on in the world, you'll have a very broad knowledge, but it's not very deep. And um, there is some value in that to know what's going on or think you know what's going on, right? You know what's being reported, I guess. But you could also take that time that you spend consuming news however you choose to get it right facebook tv you know apple news google news whatever it is um reading the wall street journal i don't know and if you found a topic that you're interested in like say oh i don't know prohibition and read two or three books on the topic you would end up having a not particularly broad but a very deep knowledge about a particular topic, Mm -hmm. uh, which could probably put into perspective for you something else going on today, right? Like, I'm sure if you were a real student of history and knew a lot about prohibition, then what was happening, what's happening today with um, marijuana legalization efforts would have a new and interesting sort of meaning mm-hmm. about what's what is and is not <clears throat> happening or, or thereabouts uh, and I there's something to be said for that right you probably are going to be a better person spending more time reading reading books having deep knowledge about something than spending another day watching the talking heads arguing on right. Fox or CNN or whatever it is right absolutely you know turn that stuff off for an hour and spend an hour reading, you know, something yeah. legitimate, and you'll be better off, right? And that's not reading random stuff on Facebook. It's, you know, find something that was published by an editor in a legitimate, you know, publishing house mm-hmm. <laughs> and read it. it. doesn't have to be about prohibition, but just something, right? Well, right, because essentially, I mean, what you're hearing on hearing from talking heads hearing on talk radio is opinions it's other people's opinions right and what people tend to do is they listen to it as if it's fact and they accept it as their own opinion but like their mental calculus is that they've heard it said by a figure that they see to be a figure of authority you know so they accept it as a truth and then accept it as their opinion and then they repeat it as their opinion as if it was backed up in fact and it's not. So you're just absorbing another person's opinion, essentially, and making them your own. Right. Which is why don't just read one book on a topic. Read two or three or four. 
Because you'll and then get, formulate your own right. opinion, which is based upon facts. You'll get well, yeah. You'll get a bunch of different facts. You'll have read a bunch of other people's opinions on the topic, and from that, you'll be able to form your own view on whatever the topic is. Right. Um, we've done that a little bit with uh, um, energy, right, and specifically things like uh you know how energy is produced on planet earth we've talked about that before right and what it means in the broader context of our economy and our environment right um i don't know it's a uh, to bring it back around this glenn beck article was an interesting thing to read uh it'll be interesting to observe where he goes from here I mean, yeah. I have a feeling he's just going to kind of fade into irrelevancy. Um, I, I don't think you'll hear much out of Glenn Beck anymore, but I, I don't know. We'll see. I wouldn't count him out. You know, I mean, he went off and did his own network and yep. had a whole big thing, and then it all just kind of collapsed. Yeah, well. So we will okay. see. Let's switch over to the next thing. We don't have to talk a lot about this. But it's a website that I came across called The Kids Should See This. Did you look at this stuff? I did. And I just... It's fascinating. I love the title of it to begin yeah. with. So The short, short version of this is... Um, this website is run by uh, a couple who are parents. They have a couple of kids. And it started as a place for them just to collect you know, videos and articles and cool things that they thought their children should see. And so it's all of this, you know, sciency, how the world works mm -hmm. sort of stuff, right? That is geared towards children. But as it turns out, it's a lot of that stuff is equally fascinating to adults, right? Because it's how does this thing work, right? It's just like the smarter everyday guy on youtube right mm -hmm. i mean that a lot of that stuff is is really fascinating things right and it's quite honestly the antithesis of the watching the news right <laughs> right it's i would argue much more valuable yeah. use of your time than mm -hmm. the other so um i have some friends with kids of the right age and i text it to them i'm like hey, this is something you guys should be interested in. Because now this website is kind of its own thing and it's become a resource for other parents and teachers and whatever mm -hmm. else, right? And so they're really curators of all of this stuff. Um, and it's kind of organized into categories and uh, it's fantastic. So I just wanted to mention it here yeah. so that it could... No, it's really cool. And I, I mean, I think this is such an obvious thing because I think, first of all, everyone does this, but especially parents do this. But, every, you know, you send me videos and stuff all the time you know you see something you're like oh i know somebody who has to see this and i don't have kids but i know parents who encounter interesting things online and think oh my kids should see this they'll love this and then they come home from work and pull up youtube show them the video you know right um it's this is really the power of the internet right, right? i mean you put something interesting out on the internet and it you've put it out into the world but what makes the internet, the internet is anybody from anywhere can then come and scoop right. it up and share it. And then share it, yeah. Right? And 
uh, it's a powerful thing. So I went through and, uh, you know, they're all different now from the last time I looked at it. This must get updated hourly, probably. <laughs> um, so I was going to ask you, so do you come back to this regularly? It presents an interesting problem for me that I don't just visit websites on a daily basis. Like I have a couple of news aggregators and that's it. And I see at the top, they have get this week's five most watched videos. You can give them your email and mm. get like an email digest, which I think I might do because I'm not going to just visit this site periodically to see what's new. Do you? Um, I, I do. I, I don't use aggregators, news aggregators the way you do. So I have a couple of folders of bookmarks. I don't go to them every day. Um, but a couple times a week, you know, I just open up that folder and say, open up all of these and it blasts out tabs all the way mm -hmm. across. And I kind of go through them and read the interesting stuff on these websites that yeah. I want to read. Most of them are news related, but, um, not broad news. Like there's not, you know, New York times or, or CNN or MSNBC.com or any of that stuff. Right. It's all highly topical stuff right like i it it follows all of my interests right i go to that mcmansion hell one that we've talked about in the past i read about watches i read about cars um i read about technology stuff right and so as my interests ebb and flow um what's in these folders changes yeah. right that's a lot of work um, I yes, feel like that's no. a problem that was at one time solved by RSS or was supposed to be solved by newsreaders. Yeah, but RSS created its, of... its own problems, though, right? Yeah. I mean, RSS was its own sort of terribleness. I feel like this is an unsolved problem of having dozens of sources of information that I'm interested in their new content, but I don't want to check them all every day. You don't have so. to check them all every day. You can check them all whenever you get to it. And uh, I take stuff out of there. Right, yeah. like there's only so many things that you can really look at, and having to cull some of that stuff from time to time is a valuable thing. So I feel like this email digest thing—that's the way that a lot of people have started to solve the problem of, you know, like bloggers who people no longer visit their blogs now are doing email newsletters. And I yeah. feel like people are realizing everyone checks their email every day. So if I can get somebody to accept my you know, my content via email, it'll actually get to them. I, I don't know if that's a great solution or not. I think I'm going to subscribe to this and see. And I have a feeling when I get the email, I'll go look at the five videos and I will enjoy it. I, I don't know if that's forward progress. Well, maybe, maybe not. The thing I don't like about, there are a couple of websites I do that for. Um, the thing I don't like about that model is... The email comes in 85% of the time when I see it in my inbox for the first time. I'm not in a position to then be able to take the 20 minutes. Right. Or to want to take the 20 minutes to go and learn about whatever it is that they're trying to tell me about. And then you never go back to it. And then it gets buried no. in the onslaught of mm -hmm. email. Um by having websites in a folder that I look at. <clears throat> you're going to them when you're prepared to consume the content. Yeah, it's like I'm, you know, yeah. I'm going to take 45 minutes 
and go through some of this stuff. And I often don't get all the way through it, right? But it blasts open some tabs, and I get through however many of them I get through. And when I'm finished with a tab, I close it, right? And so right. eventually that whole browser window goes away. And that's just how I do it. I guess, you know, see, so Facebook does kind of solve this problem. I don't want to get into a whole Facebook thing with you again. But um, conceivably, any one of these interesting items could be shared on Facebook and show up in my newsfeed if one of my friends shared it or I shared it and it would show up for theirs. I mean, it's the same problem as of, email though, you know, right? It shows up in your newsfeed and if you've yeah. got time to deal with it now, great. But if you wait don't, four hours, see it again. it's gone, yeah. right? Wait two hours, it's gone. Right. You almost need a, you need to control when the pull happens of, which is why I have yeah, bookmarks. I'm never going to do that. So I got to find something else, some other solution because clicking one button to open a bunch of tabs. I don't do bookmarks. Hmm. I have no bookmarks. Huh. Well, I can't help you if you're dumb. <laughs> even, even, um, yeah, I, this is kind of my own neuroses that I shouldn't necessarily admit, but I don't like using bookmarks. Even, uh, like work stuff, stuff where, a link to a piece of documentation or something. I'd rather someone tell me how to get there. So from an entry point, which is like the homepage of the site or the wiki mm-hmm. or wherever, I want someone to tell me the path, the navigation path to get to the document. So then I have a repeatable process to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will remember the navigation path to it. I don't just want the deep link so I can bookmark it because that's not how I work. I prefer the deep link because almost everything like documentation has the breadcrumbs where you can see the navigation you can path go back. to it. Yeah. Um, I always want to know how I, I can re reconstruct the data. I don't want to just yeah. go to it. Well, that's fair. Anyway, so then yeah, this problem isn't fixed for me then. But it's a problem of your own making. Well, I can't be the only one. Look at it this way. Bookmarks are a thing you have total control over. <laughs> Just say All right. Anyway, cool site. Great find. Thanks for sharing. Yes. Um, so we got some other stuff to talk about, but I think maybe it's going to have to wait till next week. Yeah, we're... I mean, to be honest, my glass of bourbon is empty, so that's a different problem. It's a crime. Yeah, I think we're good to wrap up today. Um, I, you know, we've kind of had taken some liberties with how frequently we get together and stuff. Well, now that I want you to keep me honest on this gonna um, weight loss program, I think we should try and be more regular, get together more regularly, even if it isn't necessarily an hour. You know, okay, shorter's fine, but get together and check in. All right, that's a plan. Cool. Till next time. See ya.